quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Today on Inside Politics, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. Democrats may be humming some Sinatra, hoping what happened in old New York last night will continue in November, making more little towns blue. Plus, divisiveness, dysfunction, and not getting a lot done. That's how former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan once described the U.S. Senate. So why does he want a job there? I'll ask him this hour in his first interview since announcing his Senate campaign. And it could end the Trump business empire and force the former president to fork over more than $300 million. A judge is expected to make a ruling in Donald Trump's civil fraud case this week as the broader Trump legal team is gearing up for a very busy few days in court. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. First up, the race that launched a thousand takes. Pretty much everyone has an opinion on what the special election in New York's third congressional district means after Democrats flipped a seat, making Republicans already narrow majority even slimmer. But what caught our attention is what three remaining presidential candidates agree on, that it's all about Donald Trump. The Biden campaign's response, quote, Donald Trump lost again. Nikki Haley's reaction, quote, we just lost another winnable Republican House seat because voters overwhelmingly reject Donald Trump. And even the former president thinks it's about him. He's blaming the Republican candidate for not kissing his ring, saying, quote, MAGA, which is most of the Republican Party, stayed home and it always will unless it is treated with the respect that it deserves. And moments ago, we heard from the two House leaders. The result uh, last night is, is not something in my view, the Democrats should celebrate too much. Think about what happened there. They spent about $15 million to win a seat that President Biden won by eight points. Tom Swazi talked about common sense solutions and finding bipartisan common ground. Tom Swazi won. Bottom line is that Tom Swazi is heading back to Congress. The Democrat thinks he can move past the crippling dysfunction. It's time to move beyond the petty partisan bickering and the finger pointing. It's time to focus on how to solve the problems. Yes. It's time to get to work on immigration. Let's send a message to our friends running the Congress these days. Stop running around for Trump and start running the country. Let's get straight to our great panel of reporters to break all of this down. CNN's Melanie Zanona, PBS NewsHour's Laura Barone Lopez, and Margaret Talib of Axios. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm obviously leaning very far into this day uh, and loving it. Uh, let's just play one more bite from uh, Tom Swazi about uh, what one of the issues, maybe the issue, that he tried to flip the script on, and it looks like he did successfully, and that's immigration. Despite 
all the lies about Tom Swazi and the squad. <laughs> about Tom Swazi being the godfather of the migrant crisis. Yeah. About Sanctuary Swazi. We won. So there he's not only talking about the uh, immigration issue, which I want you to weigh in on, he's also uh, doing what he did throughout this very short campaign in the special election, which is separating himself from the squad, meaning the left right. of his party, not to mention President Biden. Yeah, he distanced himself from his own party in a lot of instances. He embraced the immigration issue head on. And this morning, in talking to Republicans outside the conference meeting that they had, there was a lot of finger pointing. And one of the things that they pointed to was that Republicans rejected the bipartisan deal to secure the southern border. So I do think there are some questions this morning about how that may have impacted the race and an issue where immigration was seen as really central in New York. The migrant crisis was a defining issue. Now, Republicans are also downplaying last night. They said this is a district that Joe Biden carried by eight points. They were heavily outspent. Tom Suozzi was a member of Congress for many years. He had very high name ID. All of that is true, but it's also a fact that now Republicans are one step closer to losing the majority. Democrats one step closer to winning it. And I, I do think there's going to be potentially some soul searching about what the message is going to be. That's in interesting. You heard from some House Republicans re regret that they killed the in immigration bill or maybe these were members who privately wanted to kill <laughs> right, privately. privately, privately. That's where you get the best stuff, Melanie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the the idea, just sticking on immigration for one minute, Laura, uh, the idea that uh, people in this third congressional district uh, really did pay attention was interesting to me. When I went up uh, to New York last week, I did hear from voters coming out of the early voting uh, area that we went to saying, several of them said, unsolicited, that they were upset. That, it, that the immigration bill was killed. And that's not just because of the border, but because of what it says about the inability to get things done here in Washington. Right. And you've seen Democrats, including President Biden, as well as Swazi, like take advantage of that. The fact that Republicans killed that border deal, that Trump himself said that he didn't want Republicans to vote for it. And he talked about that on the campaign trail. Tom Swazi did. And he also, I think what's notable is he didn't just say, uh, use language about being tough on the border and saying secure the border, which he did say. But he also said that he wanted to provide a pathway to citizenship for people who follow the rules, for migrants who follow the rules. And I think that's key because a lot of Democrats, you know, sometimes sometimes they shy away from the pathway to citizenship, even though polls show that it's very popular to grant a pathway to citizenship to dreamers. And it's something that President Biden came into the White House promising. And in this border deal, they didn't have that. Mm -hmm. But I think that uh, Swazi arguing that on the campaign trail is notable and something that Democrats can do potentially in future races. You know, one of the things, uh, Margaret, that uh, is um, maybe a lesson uh, from this is that it's the way Nancy Pelosi and, and Hakeem Jeffries uh, still does, uh, runs the politics of the caucus, which is uh, what's good for somebody in the most liberal of districts is not the same as somebody in a swing district like uh, like a Swazi district. And that is something that a member of that uh, previously discussed squad said on CNN last night. Our main prerogative is to win the House back. I know that Representative Swazi, former Representative Swazi, he knows his, his district. The idea that we are, you know, that we're are part of the same kind of cadre in Congress is 
incorrect, it's wrong, um, but that doesn't mean that we're not on the same team. So practical. Uh, and that's not something which I want you to weigh in on, Melanie, uh, that we're seeing yeah. on the Republican side. Yeah, it's an interesting distinction and, and the way she weaves that nuance to keep her constituents knowing that uh, she's she might be on his team, but she's really on their team is interesting. I think if Tom Swazi had lost this race, uh, it would be a bellwether and we would be talking about it really intensely today. And Joe Biden would be in a lot of trouble. This was a district he won uh, before by eight points. The fact that Swazi won, given uh, the like sort of horrendous uh, short um, uh uh, whatever infamous run of George Santos uh, and the leanings of that district anyway. Um, I don't know how much you can take to the bank if you're the Democratic Party, but I think it does offer a few playbooks. One is uh, early voting. Um, it, it made a difference. If there is a snowstorm and many of your voters have already voted, it's less important whether they can get out of their house or not, right? So early voting is important. The abortion issue is really important. I know we've been talking about immigration, uh, but in the suburban swing district where a lot of the women are voters or believe that women should have reproductive rights, um, that was an important issue for him to hammer on and he did. And then the immigration approach seems to be to argue a tough security approach of the border, but sort of tough but humane and try to contrast that with uh, the legacy of the Trump administration. The challenge for Biden is going to be that Biden himself cannot use the Tom Swazi playbook yeah. because the Tom Swazi playbook involves distancing himself from Joe uh -huh. Biden. So this may be a playbook for Democrats in tough races, but I think the president so himself is going to need a different strategy for talking about That's the so, border. So well said. Such a good, uh, good point. Sticking on to, to continue with that very uh, astute observation, the congressional races, especially in New York, where the Republican wins there in 2022, gave the Republicans the majority. Listen to what Mike Lawler, who is one of the most endangered uh, Republicans, is also from New York, said on CNN this morning. I give them kudos, uh, but each race is going to be different. I think certainly Democrats, uh, you know, can look at, at this race uh, and, and see uh, a, a pathway forward in some of these districts. Uh, but it comes down to the candidate. I mean, he's right. It does come down to the candidate and himself and D'Esposito and some of these other guys who are freshman Republicans in these districts, they will have the benefit of running as an incumbent, whereas Mozzie Pillup wasn't. And she had lower name ID in the district. But behind the scenes, there is some nervousness among these New York Republicans. The path to the majority runs exactly through their districts. And I do think today there's going to be some effort to try to get the new Repu this Republican majority to do things that will help the New York Republicans. A perfect example is this SALT legislation, the state and local tax income deduction. They've been trying to push through this bill. It's coming into resistance from the right flank. And I'm told that Mike Lawler actually made a pitch this morning behind closed doors Please support this bill. We need a boost. Give us a win in New York. Uh, we'll see if that works. But so far, it does not seem like conservatives have the same sort of no. AOC yeah. mentality, which is we might be on different pages on policy, but we're on the same team. That just does not it's seem a to apply. classic example the of the difference uh, there. OK, before we uh, sort of get off this topic or move on from this micro topic about what happened in New York, we have to talk about what Donald Trump said in his uh, post last night, never mind blaming Mozzie Phillip for not uh, endorsing MAGA. He said, I stayed out of the race, quote, I want to be loved, exclamation, end quote. 
Okay, this is a jump ball. Who wants to take this and try to figure out what, what that was about? How can I build I'm looking at you, Margaret. On this one? Uh, yeah, I just like it's her fault because she didn't embrace him enough, but he loves her even though he thinks she's an idiot, and that's why he stayed out because he's really in control. But he's not in control, and that's why she lost. So I don't know. It's on brand. I don't know. I don't think it means anything. I. Yeah, whenever there's a loss, Trump wants to find someone else to blame. I mean, he clearly stayed out because he was advised that in a district like this, in a Biden win district, you know, forceful endorsements aren't necessarily going to help the candidate. That was pretty good. I don't think I could have come up with that analysis. (laughs) But I I meant what she said. (laughs) What she said. Up next, what did the New York results mean for Mike Johnson's already tenuous ability to lead the House? We're going to look at the challenges he's facing from all sides. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. The result uh, last night is, is not something, in my view, that Democrats should celebrate too much. Think about what happened there. They spent about $15 million to win a seat that President Biden won by eight points They won it by less than eight points. Their candidate ran like a Republican. He sounded like a Republican talking about the border and immigration because everybody knows that's the top issue. Chief Congressional Correspondent Manu Raju was at that press conference and pretty much everywhere else already this morning uh, on Capitol Hill. Manu. Yeah, and I asked the speaker about whether or not he gave Tom Suozzi an issue to campaign on by essentially scuttling the Senate bipartisan border deal that Suozzi later railed against Republicans over that decision. But Johnson downplayed that, said it was not at all an issue and still contending that the American public is behind them on that matter. But not everyone in his conference agrees. In fact, some Republicans, particularly in swing districts, believe that they should have done more to negotiate, not look like they were simply trying to block that proposal. Others said that their handling of early voting and certain campaign tactics, essentially pouring cold water on those early voting and mail-in voting, as a former president has done, they need to change that. And some patently blamed New York freshman Republicans for pushing out George Santos and essentially shrinking the Republican majority. And the Republicans who were behind that effort to push out Santos defended that move. 
you have to have standards uh, in the halls of Congress. Uh, and so I don't regret voting to expel George Santos. Uh, he was unfit to serve. George Santos was a con man and a crook and shouldn't have been a member of Congress. There are a lot of decisions that have occurred these last couple of months that have shrunk the majority. Perhaps George Santos being honest would have kept uh, one more seat uh, here in, in Congress. I think the American people see a certain dysfunction to our body right now. I don't see it as a dysfunction. I, I, this is the way that we do function to get the things that we want that the American people want. And that's been part of the debate here is that in the House GOP is devolved into finger pointing and internal chaos in the aftermath of Kevin McCarthy's ouster in October and really having a difficult time putting together any sort of agenda here. And there are such huge issues here, Dana, confronting this majority, not just dealing with Ukraine aid and Israel aid, how to deal with the border. The speaker saying that he would not accept the Senate's proposal to provide $95 billion in emergency aid to U.S. allies overseas, all part of the GOP infighting that many members are concerned about will hurt them in November. Absolutely. Absolutely. Manu, thank you so much for that reporting. Our panel is back here. Uh, let me just put up on the screen the numbers because it really is stark when you look at uh, what the majority really is for Republicans or will be as soon as Tom Swazi is sworn in. Uh, I mean, it, it's a, if you look at the way that the voting goes, it is a two-vote yeah governing body, which is like nothing. Right. It was already so razor thin. And the fact that it just got even smaller is going to make Johnson's life that much more difficult. Now, what I will say is that all the major pieces of legislation are going to need bipartisan support anyway. This does come into play, though, when it comes to party line votes. If they're trying to do a Biden impeachment, if they're trying to do a FISA spy powers renewal bill. And just in general, I mean, I think Speaker Mike Johnson is going to really have to sit down with his conference figure out where everyone is on some of these key issues, including Senate aid. Um, the Senate aid packages just got sent over. I mean, he is just in such an incredibly tight yeah. spot. It definitely mirrors what Kevin McCarthy went through, but worse. Well, you just set, perfect, set up perfectly an exchange that Manu had with Warren Davidson, Republican of Ohio, about what would happen to Mike Johnson if he dared to put a bill on the floor or even allow a bill to come up for a vote that would fund Ukraine. If the Speaker were to put the Senate package on the floor, what would that mean for his ability to hold on to the gavel? Uh, he would need Democrats to hold on to the gavel at that point. Because there would be an effort to push him out? Yeah, I mean, multiple of my colleagues have already promised that. I believe that it's not an empty threat. Laura? I mean, yeah, Speaker Johnson, as Mel said, is potentially in trouble and thinking about his speakership right now. But also, that's the very thing that the majority makers probably want him to do, which is to put something like that on the floor, to put aid for Ukraine, aid for Israel. They want to be able to vote for something like that. These Republicans that are in Biden yep. districts. And so if you want to hold on to your majority, I mean, this just goes back to what we saw from AOC, from Ocasio-Cortez. Either these conservatives realize that the majority makers in their conference need something to vote on and take to their districts, or they don't because they've decided that they want to go along with former President Donald Trump, who says no more aid to Ukraine. And they are not the ones who uh, dictate what happens in that conference. They're the hardliners, and that is the reality. And, and I just think a, a little historical context is important. I put up the numbers of how slim the majority is. Democrats' majority, uh, Nancy Pelosi's, was not was about the same, maybe a tiny bit, maybe just one a little bit bigger, one, one seat bigger. 
and that got stuff done. Well, and there were a couple reasons why. One is that the left flank, and you sort of saw AOC mm -hmm. do some of that in the clip we just saw, but the left flank would push and push and push and push and push and hold out and, you know, the Joe Manchin, yada, yada. But then in the end, most of the time would come together. Mm -hmm. There were a couple of close moments and a lot of wasted time, and it impacted Joe Biden's approval ratings. Yes. But they came together usually at the end. But the other is Nancy Pelosi. Mike Johnson is not Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I mean, he couldn't possibly be. He doesn't have the years of experience. He does not have the decades of training on the job. And uh, even the strongest, most experienced, longstanding uh, House, uh, Republican House Speaker at this moment, it might not matter anyway because the politics of some of those um, far-right seats are just entrenched in, uh, you know, plus 37 districts or what have you. But on top of that, if you don't have the personal chits, the ability to instill fear as well as loyalty, um, if you don't have that, those longstanding uh, patterns and skills that take literally decades to build, how can you steer a ship like this? And, and you know, the thing that we're not talking about, and Melanie, you have these conversations every day on Capitol Hill, is that there genuinely are different goals and different approaches to governing. Mm -hmm. um, we're all talking about it uh, with the premise that they want to get things done. There are a lot, genuinely a lot of Republicans who came to Congress in order to to blow things up yes. because they don't like the way the government yes. works. Yeah, and certainly the critics of the Freedom Caucus would argue that they are just chaos agents and that they actually like being in the minority better because it's easier to just sit there and rail against whatever the other party is doing. And what we have seen is a lot of these governing members of the Republican Party are heading for the exits right now. And in their replace yes. is coming these more far-right Republicans in the mold of Donald Trump. I mean, it's just remarkable. We saw Kathy McMorris-Rogers. She is the chair of a very powerful committee. She wasn't even term limited. She announced her retirement recently, and that sent some real shockwaves through the House GOP. Yeah, that says so much. And Mike Gallagher. And Mike Gallagher. Yeah, yeah, Republican. Who, uh, everyone said had a big future, and he said, my future is not here. Coming up, a CNN exclusive former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan now wants to be in the U.S. Senate. Can a Republican win a statewide race in a deep blue state with Donald Trump at the top of the ballot? That could happen. Governor Hogan, former governor, is my guest next. Larry Hogan served for eight years as a popular Republican governor in a very blue state. He's been one of Donald Trump's most outspoken critics in the Republican Party. And last week, he announced he is running for the U.S. Senate. It's another hurdle in the path for Democrats trying to hold on to the Senate this November. Governor Hogan joins me now for his first interview since announcing his Senate campaign. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. So you are a Republican running for Senate, as I mentioned, in a very blue state. You have a pretty significant population of suburban voters. What lessons do you take, maybe warning signs, from last night's big Democratic win in suburban New York? Well, I, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm a qualified pundit to talk about exactly what happened well, as in a candidate. New York, but I can tell you that I, yeah, that I've uh, I've overcome those odds over and over again in Maryland, where I I won huge numbers of suburban women and black voters and. I have been uh, able to, you know, reach out to people across the spectrum, and so I, I don't know what that means for New York, uh, but obviously uh, the George Santos thing was was a disaster, and uh, 
you know, I uh, I worked with the, the new congressman from the being a former congressman. I actually worked with him together when we were working on putting infrastructure together. So I, I don't want to opine about what it means for uh, the GOP, but I'm just kind of focused here on Maryland and trying to represent the people of my state. Right. And I totally understand that. I guess what I'm trying to ask and, and get at is whether or not there are any um, warning signs for you being a Republican in a blue state. One of the challenges you might have, and yeah. I know you know this, is as a very outspoken anti-Trump uh, Republican, as you are, you um, are going to be for the first time on the ballot with Donald Trump, assuming that he is the Republican nominee. You've won very big uh, twice, but you've never been on the ballot with him. How are you going to navigate that? Yeah. Well, it's a big challenge, obviously. Maryland is the bluest state in the country. It's more than two to one Democrat to Republican. And uh, Joe Biden won the the last election in Maryland by a million votes, by 33 percentage points. But I'm not running as Donald Trump. I think you probably know I, I was the, probably the most outspoken critic in our party mm -hmm. uh, standing up to him. And I, I'm, I'm really I'm not running for the Republican Party or for any, any candidate for president. I'm, I decided to run to kind of stand up and fight for the people of Maryland and, and fight against the broken politics in Washington. Uh, and I, I, I'm going to stand up to, to people of both parties and and just go out there and talk to the voters about uh, why they elected me twice as governor and why I think I can do the same thing representing them in Washington. I want to play what you told uh, my colleague Jake Tapper back in 2022 when you decided then not to run for Senate. I just have never had a desire to be a U.S. Senator and uh, my heart wasn't in it and I like to get things done. And in Washington it seems as if there's just a lot of divisiveness and dysfunction and not a lot gets done. So it, it, it wasn't the right job, right fit for me. So what changed? Well, not much. I mean, I still feel exactly the same way. Not a lot gets done in Washington. It's not, look, this is not, who, who in their right mind would want to go in and be a part of that divisiveness and dysfunction? I just got to the point, I said I wasn't going to walk away from politics. I was going to try to be a voice of standing up to try to fix things. And you can't just sit back and complain about things if you're not willing to try to make a difference. And so I still, listen, personally, this is not a burning desire to go be a senator or to go down there and argue with people all day. I'm only doing it because I think I have a unique voice and perspective, and I'm very concerned that the country's off in the wrong track and that somebody has to step up and try to do something about it. It's what I've been talking about and focused on for years, and uh, m this gives me a platform to go down there and maybe actually try to bring people together and fix things, just like we did in Maryland, where I had a 70% Democratic legislature, and yet we got them to come together to cut taxes eight years in a row by $4.7 billion and accomplished a heck of a lot of other things by finding that middle ground where we can all actually get things done. That's not what happens in Washington now, but uh, if I get there, I'm going to try my best to make it happen. I want to talk about a couple of issues, sir. You are against abortion rights, your self-described pro-life. Uh, you're really out of step with your that's blue state. That's not true. That's, that, no? Yeah, yeah, that's not really true at all, okay. Dan. I, I have a long, very, very moderate position on abortion. This is How kind would you of describe a, it? Look, I, I'm... I'm I'm, I'm personally not a proponent of abortion, but I said I'm not going to take away that right for others to make that decision for themselves. I, I made a this is a kind of a tired attack from the Democratic Party that they've been doing for 10 years when I first ran for governor. I gave them my position. I gave them my word and I kept that word. Mm -hmm. I had a very balanced position on abortion. I'm not on the extreme either side of the extreme of that issue. I, I think that, uh, you know, states can pass reasonable restrictions, but I stood up and protected the right for people to continue to uh, have abortions in the 
the state of Maryland. So then let me uh, get you to respond to what the Democratic Committee to elect uh, Democrats are, are saying. They're saying that, that a vote for you would be a vote for a Senate Republican majority and a national abortion ban. So just set the record straight, well, if just, you will. It's yeah. just flat Do you, out. You don't support yeah, a national abortion ban. it's just flat out wrong. Ban. No, I would, I, would, I, would, I would not vote to support a national abortion ban. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, immigration, the Senate, as you know. And, and by the way, this, so this, this is the same exact attacks that they spent when I first ran for governor. It was all false. And we, you know, people in Maryland know what my position is. And I actually, my position is exactly where most Marylanders are. Well, actually, because you brought it up again before I go to immigration, uh, you, you know that there is going to be a uh, measure on the ballot that presumably you will be on to to make abortion rights a part of the Maryland Constitution. What do you think about that? Mm -hmm. Well, I, look, I understand why this is such an important and emotional issue, issue for, for women across Maryland and across the country. This, I, I already took a position on this bill. I said it wasn't really necessary. There's no threat to the protection of these rights in Maryland where it's been, it's already a law. Voters have already weighed in on it. It's settled law and a decision. I think the Democrats put this on the ballot to try to, to, to try to make it a political issue and mm -hmm. I, voters can make their decision on whether they think it's important or not but it does it's not going to change anything in our state okay just uh, quickly on abortion uh, you know that the senate blocked a bipartisan border deal last week in response ice is develop, developing a plan to release migrants and reduce their capacity for detainees because they have a budget shortage um what do you make of the way the senate republicans a caucus that you want to join how they handled this yeah. well look i'm i'm really frustrated in fact you know i never gave much consideration of running to the senate i made this decision a week ago after the debacle that took place on the senate floor uh the, you know the, the border is a, a tremendous problem and i think the biden administration has failed miserably on this issue and republicans were continually talking about how we have to secure the border which we do uh and uh and yet when there was an opportunity to do that and to do the things that many Republicans are talking about, secure the border, get funding for Israel and Ukraine, you know, when when uh, it got into a they, they backed off and went away from their position. I thought it was typical uh, dysfunction. Uh, you know, I'm frustrated with both parties down there, and that's a perfect example. It's an important thing that most people in America want us to solve, and it's not getting solved because it's just typical Washington politics. Former Governor Larry Hogan, uh, thank you so much for coming on for your first interview and talking about politics and yeah, important th issues. Thank you, Dana. We'll be right back. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Just into CNN, we have new reporting on a cryptic message that the House Intelligence Committee released on social media about a, quote, serious national security threat. CNN's Katie Bo Lillis is on Capitol Hill, been talking to sources. Katie Bo, what do we 
What do we know about this? I, cryptic is the right word. We still have more questions than answers at this point. What we do know is that the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee um, has invited all of the members of the House to come down to the House SCIF, to this secure compartment and information facility where they can talk about classified information, to be briefed on what he has referred to as a, quote, destabilizing foreign military capability that should be known by all congressional policymakers. Now, both Turner and other members members of the committee, both Republican and Democratic, have declined to elaborate on what that is. My colleague Natasha Bertrand and I are able to report at this point that it is related to a Russian military capability, but we don't at this point have any more details. Congressman Turner is pushing the Biden administration to declassify all of the information that it can about this alleged threat so that it can be publicly debated. We have heard from National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan asked about this at the podium at the White House just moments ago. He, too, declined to provide further details, but he did say that he had reached out personally to Turner and the rest of uh, senior members of the, um, of, of the Congress to discuss this threat for in a meeting tomorrow, and he said he was a bit surprised that Turner is bringing it up publicly now. Mm. Okay. That's exactly why he's doing it publicly, to put public pressure on the White House to declassify it. It all makes sense now, but we still don't know what the, what the it is, and I know you'll be on it. Katie Bo, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Donald Trump's legal team is going to be very busy over the next few days with multiple hearings, deadlines, and an expected ruling that could have major ramifications for the former president. CNN's Caitlin Polance is here to break it all down. Caitlin, let's start with the federal election case. What should we expect? Well, that's where the activity is in the Supreme Court right now, this question of presidential immunity. We're waiting for the special counsel to respond. They're very likely going to endorse what the other appeals courts have said. Trump should go to trial. And then we wait to see if the Supreme Court moves quickly and if they send the case back to the trial court and say, Trump, time to go to trial, or if they keep their hands on it for a little bit late, longer. Okay, let's go down south to Georgia. Yep. And what do we expect to see with that Georgia election case? So that's a hearing Thursday and Friday, and that's about the prosecutor team uh, and if they can stay on the case. There'll be cameras in that courtroom. There'll be witness testimony, likely from the DA, Fonnie Willis. And it's a question of ethics. Are those prosecutors able to stay on the case, even though they had a personal relationship, some financial ties? That's going to be visiting this march to trial. Do these prosecutors continue working on this case? There's a lot of that theme happening here, the march to trial for Donald Trump. Or, as he hopes, the slow walk to trial. Exactly. Uh, the case is in New York. Let's start with hush money and that yeah. hearing. Yeah, this is a big focus of the week. Trump clearly is acknowledging this in that he's planning to go to New York and appear before the judge in his criminal hush money case related to the uh, the the payments to Stormy Daniels to keep her quiet before the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. But that hearing on Thursday, it's going to be about trial timing, the march to trial. But it's also about false business records or allegedly false business records. That is a big situation for Trump because it's about Trump, the businessman, too, in the middle of this campaign where he derives a lot of his credibility. And then on Friday, we are expecting also related to false business records, the decision from Judge Arthur Engeron in New York saying exactly how much penalty Trump and his organization should pay for falsifying their information to banks. And so that is going to be a very big moment. Trump in court Thursday in New York, then Friday, a decision that could be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. That's a civil case. Yes. Okay. Hopefully uh, people aren't, um, you know, seasick from, <laughs> from all the back and forth, but this is the way 
2024 is going to be. Thank you so much for breaking it all down. Appreciate it. Up next, it's been four months since Kevin McCarthy was ousted from the speakership. If you thought he's over it, well, think again. Wait till you hear what he had to say about two of the Republicans who forced him out. Former House Speaker and now former Congressman Kevin McCarthy was back on Capitol Hill last night for a rare appearance, and he was in rare form. The ousted speaker held nothing back when he was asked about some of his fellow Republicans, the ones who helped end his congressional career. I hope Nancy gets the help she needs. I really do. Are you going to give her any help? No, I am not help financially. I just hope she gets the help to straighten out her life. I mean, she, she's got a lot of challenges. No one will stay working for her. Has there ever been any conversations uh, between you and the former president about Matt Gaetz and his decision to throw you out? Uh, is he supportive of that? I don't know how close you probably think the president is to Gates, but you should figure that out. They're not actually no. that close? Mm. He makes Gates makes it out to be like they're... I'm sure. Gates probably makes a lot out of you. He probably lies about who he sleeps with, too. Melanie Zanona is back with me now. I should say that uh, Matt Gates put a tweet out, or an X or whatever it's called now, saying, what stage of grief is this? Uh, and I know you've been talking to some of the others. And I should say that you've been doing some great reporting with Manu about the fact that this isn't just him talking. He's right. actually, he, McCarthy, is acting. He's really trying to yeah. take these members down. Yeah, he has a huge war chest. He is now untethered because he's not a member of Congress, and he can go after these members in primaries, and that is exactly what he's planning to do. Uh, Nancy Mace is one of those members. She has a primary challenger. I asked her her response to what Kevin McCarthy said yesterday, and she said to me, the D.C. swamp doesn't want me back. Too bad. I don't work for them. I work for the people of the 1st Congressional District and no one else. So, you know, in talking to these members, they're brushing aside the criticisms from McCarthy, and they say they're not worried about his revenge tour, which is clearly taking shape right now. But this is something that is definitely happening, and you can tell the emotions are still very raw inside the Republican conference, even four months after Kevin McCarthy was ousted. And emotions are still raw inside Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> Absolutely. Mean, because I, uh, I know our colleague Annie uh, Greer was there. He, he went on for like 30 minutes, right? Yeah. And he, he was there for a ceremony. Uh, but the fact that he wanted to take the time to talk to reporters about uh, the, as he calls them, the crazy eight who ousted him um, on his efforts to fund primary challenges and to get rid of them. Uh, Matt Gates is tougher, but yeah. you think Nancy Mace because of the nature of her district and other issues, he might have a better chance at? Yeah, so McCarthy's associates have been doing some of the legwork behind the scenes to recruit and identify potential primary challengers. Matt Gates, they tried to find someone to challenge him. No one was interested. He's very actually popular in his district. It's a very conservative district, but they believe that Bob Good of Virginia and Nancy Mace in South Carolina are vulnerable to a primary. So they're going to go into those districts and try to play. But back to what you're saying about Kevin McCarthy and how he is still very much feeling all of this. I mean, you got the sense that he missed the job, at least parts of the job. He was holding court with reporters. I mean, this is the same man who used to have photo lines with tourists in the Capitol back when he was speaker. He loved the trappings of the speakership. He worked his entire life to get that job, and it was taken away from him after nine months. So, yeah, there's still some sore feelings. Yeah. And who can blame him? Of course he's going to want some payback here. Yeah, who can blame him? Um, I, I want to connect this conversation back to what we were talking about earlier in the show, which is... Mike Johnson and the fact that he uh, is a newbie. Yeah. He makes newbies look like they have a lot of experience. He just hasn't done this. Given the sort of 
dysfunction that's going on right now? Any buyer's remorse or seller's remorse? Listen, do I think that there's going to be a motion to vacate? Probably not, given that we're so close to November election. People use it as a threat because they want leverage. I don't think there is an appetite, even on the far right, to go through no regrets about pushing McCarthy out. But there are regrets about pushing McCarthy out, from the at eight? least from his allies, not no. from the, not from the Gates eight. I mean, they have really struggled in the wake of Kevin McCarthy being ousted. They are still reeling from that. I mean, I don't think that Kevin McCarthy, um, you know, realizes just how much the conference was on his side. You know, he had those eight people who ousted him, but there was many who were his allies in I, his corner. I think he realizes it, yeah. which is why he's so upset. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie, thanks. Such great reporting. Thank you for joining Inside Politics. I hope you all have a wonderful Valentine's Day. CNN New Central starts after the break. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.